Hello, Duke fans, and welcome to episode 240 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. It is Thursday, October 15th, 2020. Duke has a football game this weekend against NC State, but before we get to that, we have a lot of NCAA news that came out this week and some more audio from some current Duke basketball players. Before we get to any of that, of course, we have to introduce ourselves. I am Sam Klein. I am your host for this episode. I am joined, as always, by Donald Wine. Donald, how are you, sir? I am doing good. I got out of D.C. for a few days. I am in, I guess it's not scenic Buffalo, but we're in the suburbs of Buffalo, New York. Uh, we are I'm just out here having uh, having some relaxation time with some friends, and uh, but there was a lot of basketball to talk about, so I am excited to talk about that, even though up here they don't really care about basketball. Not so much. Jason Evans is also here with us. Jason, what's going on? Uh, I am in Atlanta, as I have been pretty much consistently for the past six months or so, other than a little break. Um, I, I will say this. Uh, uh, I actually got out to the polling place yesterday, and I have now voted. Um, so my ballot has been cast. It was a relatively painless experience. It only took about 25 minutes or so. My wife and I did a lot of research to find the polling station that would not have super long lines. There were places that are six plus hour long waits. We did not want to do that. So we found, um, we found a spot that was just ideal and, uh, it was easy and felt safe. And I encourage everyone out there, please go vote, vote early. Um, so I you don't have to deal I, with election day. I was able to cast my ballot a couple of weeks ago, or I guess it was last week. Time is 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 is, is not moving really at a strange speed. <laughs> yeah, so I think it was last week, but it was right after. It was right the day of the VP debate, so that was last week. Um, I got online with some of my friends. We had like a Zoom night where we just kind of went through our ballot. Uh, I mean, DC. Everyone's thinking, oh. You just have to vote for president. Everyone votes for the same person. It's fine. But we had uh, local elections, including an at-large city council election that has 23 people on the ballot. So we went through the ballot and literally did pros and cons for just about everybody that was running. And because D.C. sent everybody ballots, I was able to drop it off uh, the next day uh, with a relatively painless thing. But we also have early voting as well. So, again, I think – this year is, 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 is the easiest time ever to vote, so you might as well take advantage of it. Hey, you know, this is a good time to announce. When I was going through my ballot here in Atlanta, Georgia, the Fulton County surveyor, the position of surveyor in Fulton County, it says write-in, like there's no candidates. No one is running for surveyor in Fulton County. I am here at this moment now to announce my candidacy to be the surveyor of Fulton County. I don't know what the surveyor does, but if you are voting in Atlanta and it says write in for surveyor and there's no other names, write down Jason Evans. If elected, I will serve, although I have no idea what I will do. <laughs> that, is a, that is a bold commitment. So, <laughs> good for you. I sent a letter to the city of Boston yesterday to tell them to send me a mail-in ballot so that I don't have to go to the polls. But we'll see how all that goes. Anyway, we're not a voting podcast. We're a basketball podcast. We're a college sports podcast. So let's talk about all those things right here at the top. We got a chance, or Jason Evans got a chance this week to catch up with DJ Stewart, freshman point guard, shooting guard, combo guard. We'll let him talk about it. But Jason was on the call this week with a few other media members, and we've cut up some audio for you uh, from that interview. So we will play that now. Hey, DJ. Good morning. Jim Sonner, I go to. Uh, the magazine and Duke Basketball Report. Well, you have a reputation of being a three-point shooter. Um, Duke has some other three-point shooters, Joey Baker and Matt Hurt among them. I understand there's been some controversy between you and Joey about who's better. What do I ask you about the, the possibility? Yeah, it's easy to envision a lineup where you, Joey, and Matt are all on the court at the same time. What would a lineup like that look like and how difficult would it be for an opposing team to handle a lot like that with that ability to stretch the floor? Uh, that, that would be very lethal, you know, uh, just three shooters on the court. And then that would also open up driving lanes for great, for the other great players on our team to just go and attack into the paint because they, the help side won't be able to help off of us. So uh, that would actually be great for us just having three shooters on the court or even two. Are you the best three-point shooter on the team? 
Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, Matt Hurt and Joey Baker are some really good shooters, so I guess we'll have to have a three-point competition. Uh, so, DJ, I'm, I'm Jason Evans with the Duke Basketball Report podcast. I wanted to follow up and uh, ask about the, the five-on-fives, the practices you guys have been having so far. Have, have you gotten – have there been any guys that have, like, surprised you? Have there been moments where you're like, wow, I didn't realize how good that guy was? Tell me – you know, take us inside. Tell me who's really performing in those practices and, and opening your eyes. Matt Hurt. Matt Hurt and also Jayco, but I'll speak on Matt Hurt first. Matt Hurt is a really good player. Uh, he's definitely uh, gotten a lot better uh, according to what Coach K has said. And uh, he's just an amazing shooter and amazing scorer. And I'm really excited to see what he does this year. And uh, Jay Gold has really been leading for us as well, uh, really defending, uh, handling the ball without having any turnovers. So he's been really big for us as well. And he's also been like, pretty much leading me on the court and telling me where to go and just uh, letting me know uh, how Duke's going to be and how we're going to play. Joey Baker said that we are going to really like this team. Um, what are we going to like about this team specifically? And also, I saw your day in the life. Besides yourself, who has the best shoe game on the team? Uh, Wendell, his shoe game is extremely crazy. And, uh, like, his first day coming in, to the Washington Duke, it was just like a pile of shoes just stacked up. When he was bringing in, I was like, wow, I, like, I had no clue that we could bring that many shoes and clothes. But it was just amazing to see. But um, also, the, what was your other question? I'm sorry. Joey Baker, he said that we were going to really like this team. And I wanted to know specifically what you thought that we would like about this squad. The character of the team. Uh, we have a lot of people that they show emotion out there on the court. Uh, positive guys. There's a lot of uh, players that smile when they play, and uh, just just great guys overall. And we're just gonna be. I know we're gonna play together as one, and then just come together for a common goal. Hey DJ, gonna ask you to do a little bit of a self scout for us. Um, you know, how has Coach K sort of been using you? What's your role been thus far? Is it, you know, more at the point, more at the two? How's he sort of uh, been splitting that up so far? And then also just generally. What skills of yours have translated most from high school and, and what are some of the things that you're still trying to improve on uh, early on here? Uh, you know, Coach K, he has me playing on the ball and off the ball, which is uh, great, you know, because he can mix up the lineups, Jay Gold and me, Jeremy Roach and me, sometimes me and Wendell out there on the court at the same time. And uh, it's actually like interesting for me to just know, like knowing like where I could play and where I could fit in. And uh, what I've been, what's, translated well for me from high school is uh, just playing off the ball, coming off the screens and knocking down shots, uh, playing great defense, getting my hands in the passing lanes, and uh, just always being in attack mode as well. Do you have more of a preference between being off ball or on ball, or are you sort of trying to develop comfort of both? Uh, no, not at all. I'm willing to uh, do whatever it takes to get out there on the court. So, so DJ, uh, we've heard a lot from other players and, and from watching, you know, five on fives and stuff about how intense the, the competition is and how balanced this team is. Um, you know, it, it truly looks to a lot of us like there are 11 guys who, who could easily earn playing time. Do you guys talk about it all, the, the battle for playing time? I mean, I, I know in your case, there's you, there's Jeremy, there's Jay Gold, there's Wendell, all you guys sort of battling for two spots, uh, you know, how do guys feel about that? Is there any way we're going to have any conflict over playing time, or is it just, you know, what's best for the team? And, and I know that there's, there's an answer Coach K wants to hear. I'd love to hear your honest answer, though. <laughs> uh, I actually don't think there will be conflict at all. Uh, I think people are going to make sacrifices at the end of the day for the team being. And, uh, you know, we, our goal, is, as everyone, is just to win. And whatever that takes, we're just going to go out there and win and play together as one. Well, can, can I follow up and ask, I mean, are there specific combinations, especially with you guys in the backcourt, that you guys are, like, are you working more with Jeremy or more with Jay Gold? Are you, you already talked a little bit about, you know, combo versus point guard. Um, how has any of that stuff been playing out so far? Uh, so far, I've been pretty much with Jay Gold uh, a, a pretty good amount right now, but pretty much switching off a little bit. But so far, I've been with uh, Jay Gold uh, more. Uh, DJ, you mentioned Jay Gold's leadership. Obviously, a, a very young team. Jordan's a senior. Joey's a junior. They're the only two recruited players who've spent more than a year in the program. 
how are they as leaders, what are their leadership styles? How are they communicating the program's value style and newcomers? Uh, you know, they've been here for a while. So like Joey said, and Jay Gold, uh, they used to lead by more of an example and by action, but now they're speaking up more, uh, communicating with us more uh, during like free throw settings, like the settings where there may be a stop on the court. And uh, just, just always letting us know that we have to talk and always be attentive on the court and ready to be in attack mode. Uh, for those who may not be familiar with your game, can you describe your style of play? And then maybe a player that, uh, that, that you may like in your game too. I'm a combo guard. I can play on or off the ball. Uh, I can shoot it pretty well and attack and play make and uh, play great defense. And uh, a player that I get comparisons to are Lou Williams, uh, CJ McCollum, and then Lil John Morant. Do you think that those comparisons match up? Would you say that they're fair assessments? Uh, yes. I mean, they're pretty big, you know, but those are great players. But, uh, you know, just them like saying that I could potentially like play like them or even better is actually amazing. What would you um, refer to as the identity of this year's team? Something that's different from years past. Like, like we've been saying, just a deep team uh, that can pretty much, we can play in transition. We can play really fast and also make shots as well. We're going to be able to make a lot of shots. So we covered a few different topics there. It seemed like DJ had a lot to say about how practice is going and, and how certain guys on the team are performing and Jordan Goldwire and his leadership. Donald, I'll throw it to you first. What was the most interesting thing you heard from DJ Stewart there? So I think when it comes to Stewart, I, I liked... Uh, hearing the fact that he has been playing a lot with Jay Gold. And it's interesting because they, you know, kind of play the same position. They're going to be probably competing for at least time on the court between those two and Jeremy Roach. But it's nice to see that the the senior is leading by bringing in the freshman and saying, here's what here's what's expected of you. Here's what you got to do to play this position. And that competition like I, we've mentioned before, I think the competition between a lot of these positions is going to be terrific this season. We're going hey, to be. Hey, hey Donald. Yeah. Donald, can I jump in really quick on that? I think it's really interesting. Uh, I just want to highlight because I know you're going to get to other stuff. I want to highlight that the notion that Jay Gold and um, and DJ have been playing together because it probably means that we've also seen a lot of um, of Jeremy Roach playing with Wendell Moore. I mean, the consensus is that those four guys, and I asked a question about this, those four guys are, are going to be competing for sort of the, the two primary backcourt spots. It's possible Wendell moves a little bit to sort of the three to small forward, but for the most part, the, the consensus is that those four guys are going to be competing sort of for two spots. And if we have, uh, if we now know that DJ Stewart is mostly playing with Jay Gold, it probably means that Wendell Moore is mostly playing with Jeremy Roach. And so what you're talking about there, the, this notion of a more experienced guy and a freshman being paired up together, it feels like Coach K is doing that already with these backcourt guys. And, and I think it makes a lot of sense. Okay. Yeah, it, it, <laughs> it definitely it definitely does. I mean, when you're, when you're a freshman, you can't just come in and assume that you know everything and know how this system works. It's great that the seniors or, you know, the senior Jay Gold and, and just the upperclassmen are bringing them along saying, this is what's expected of a Duke player. That's different than what you may think about high school or any other college. Duke has a certain expectation. So I like that they are bringing them along in that regard. I will comment though, uh, we have to talk about the shoes. Okay. We have to talk about the shoes because <laughs> DJ Stewart, I saw the little episode, the little clip that they have about him showing the shoes. I want to see Wendell Moore's collection because if he's saying that Wendell Moore has the best shoe game on the team, I need to oh, see yeah. that. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. They're all cheating because they play for Duke basketball. And Duke basketball gives them a lot of cool shoes. I've seen the when I was in, even when I was in college, I would go into like my friend played for Duke tennis and Duke tennis had all these shoes. And I'm like, yo, man, just next time you're over there. I'm a size 11. Like, I know you're a size 10, but just, just grab an ex extra size 11, and I'll make sure that these shoes fit for you. 
he didn't do that, but at the same time, Duke allows them to access to a lot of great shoes. And so I think that plus the shoe game that they already have is going to be a great competition throughout the season. I can't wait to see more of it. As a former equipment staffer for Duke Athletics, I can tell you that the equipment staff have a lot of power when it comes to doling out favors because you have <laughs> you have access to to all the cool stuff that everybody wants. But yeah, Donald, that's the thing. They're the they're the Duke basketball team. They will get tons of cool shoes. I want to know what shoes they have that are not blue and white Nikes. Like like give me the give me the full collection. Back in the day, I think the guy who's had the best shoe game over the course uh, of their time at Duke since I've been at Duke is Dante Jones because Dante Jones would just break out random Jordans. He would play UNC and he was like, yo, I got the patent 11s. And people were like, are you actually playing basketball on them? He's like, yeah, I have like 14 pair of those. Like, I don't care. I don't care about these shoes. These are my playing Jordans. And then I have my walking Jordans and then I have a, my running Jordans. This man had it shoes for days like every single day you're like which shoe is he gonna break out is it a special occasion shoe or is it just this normal patent you know run the mill shoe and he would break out some jordans that you're just like oh well this team's gonna get blown out by 30 because he thinks it's a special occasion i did want to come back away from the from the shoe topic which i do think is important i think aesthetics is one of the one of the most important topics that we cover here on the show but i did want to come back to the discussion about the backcourt which we got into a little bit and how Stewart is going to fit in with, with the rest of the guys. And I think it's really important here to see that the, those, those four most important guards this year for Duke, that's Stewart and fellow freshman Roach, as well as Moore and Goldwire. All of them are pretty versatile. All of them can handle the ball and, and should be able to shoot to, to varying degrees. Moore is a little bit more of a slasher. We know that Wendell Moore and Jordan, Jordan Goldwire are also great on defense. And we haven't seen Stewart and Roach yet play defense, but hopefully they are picking up some tips from those guys. So I think the versatility is is the most interesting thing here. And seeing the way that Kay works with each of them together is is going to be really fascinating as as the season develops. So I was I was I was encouraged to hear DJ Stewart talk about how much he's learning from Jordan Goldwire and the way that the practices are going. Jason Evans, anything else from this uh, from this Jordan Goldwire interview? Or sorry, from this DJ Stewart interview? First of all, it's unfortunate that people are only hearing the audio. If you could see DJ Stewart, this guy is constantly smiling. Uh, it is really, it's, you can see the joy that he has for life just in talking to him. And, and, and that's, that's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Uh, I, I really appreciate the fact that, you know, Duke put him out there um, to talk to all of us and, and, and to let us share a little bit in, in there's no other word for it than his joy for life. Uh, it was really sweet. And at one point, I forget if I left it in, I don't think I left it into the, to the sound that you guys heard, but one of the reporters actually asked him, one of the, one of the reporters said to him, you're, you're always smiling. Do you ever not smile? And he said, the only time I'm not, uh, you know, if, if you ever see me not smiling, it's because I'm really, really focused on the court, like something important is going on on the court. So, so look for that, people. In, in a tight game, look for whether or not DJ is smiling to know whether or not he's really locked in. The other thing I wanted to mention, he talked about Matthew Hurt. I, I asked him, you know, who's surprising you in practice? And, and he immediately said, Matthew Hurt. And we haven't heard a lot in the preseason about Matthew Hurt. You know, there are people talking about how Joey Baker's shooting really well. We saw in the five-on-fives, we saw some really interesting athletic stuff from Jamin Brakefield and Mark Williams and other things like that. Um, I, I we, think we have we have talked about Matthew Hurt's juicy Lucy diet from from the pandemic. Yes, that's true. We did. And and his father pointing out that he was taking thousands of shots a day. I think we're now hearing a little bit about the impact of that because for DJ Stewart, arguably the best three-point shooter on the team, to say, no, the guy who's really impressed me, the guy who can really shoot is Matthew Hurt. Ooh, boy. Uh, and he talked about the notion of putting a lineup out there with him, Joey Baker, and Matthew Hurt on the floor, spreading the floor. Teams could, could not leave any one of those three guys alone for a, you know, for a heartbeat because they will bury you on threes. And the degree to which that would open up slashing lanes for guys like Jeremy Roach, Wendell Moore, Jalen Johnson, and the such – Oh my goodness. I, you know, you can see how that's a really potent lineup. So especially with those three, the th one caveat about all of them is that they all can get their shot off really quickly. 
And I think that is an important thing because like you said, if you leave them alone for just literally a split second, they can they can hit a three. Because of that, defenses are going to have to really stay on top of them, and that's going to open up passing lanes even more. All right, guys, we will move from the DJ Stewart talk to a little bit of Duke schedule analysis. We found out a little bit more this week. We got some more clarity about what the basketball schedule is going to look like for Duke, specifically in the non-conference. The ACC hasn't quite figured out what the conference schedule is going to look like, but we have a a pretty good idea of what the non-conference schedule looks like for Duke. As we have mentioned previously, and as I'm sure you've read elsewhere, the schedule is going to be compressed this year with the season starting later and fewer non-conference games. So Duke only has a few opportunities to schedule good, useful non-conference games before they get into the ACC season. So here's what we know at this point. The college basketball season opens on November 25th. That's opening night. It's the day before Thanksgiving. So that's the week when normally there'd be a lot of those tournaments like the Maui Invitational. This year, that's just opening night for everybody. Duke is going to host Gardner-Webb that night. Then the following week, they're going to play in the Champions Classic in Orlando. Of course, they're playing Michigan State this year. And then after that, they've got the back-to-back games in Cameron for the social justice-themed event where they're going to be playing uh, Elon and and Bellarmine. Howard is also going to be there, but Duke is not playing Howard. They're just going to be at the event. And then the week after that, Duke participates in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. We don't know yet who Duke is going to play in that game, but as we've seen in years past, the, the conferences and ESPN, their television partner, figure out how to pair up the best teams. So expect that Duke will get another top 10, top 20 type matchup out of that. So that is the non-conference schedule to this point. Jason, I'll start with you. Give me your thoughts on the schedule on this non-conference schedule. It's of course smaller than than it usually is, but there are some some good games in there and some some interesting takeaways. I think. So my first thought is, uh, I think in the Big Ten Challenge, I want folks to know. Uh, I, I will I will say right now, Duke's going to get either Illinois, Wisconsin, or Iowa. That is my prediction, and I feel pretty confident about that prediction. Those three teams are all considered sort of fringe top 10 teams. I think most people consider Wisconsin to be a top 10 team. Illinois and Iowa, you know, I've seen folks having Illinois and Iowa as high as like five or six, and some folks have them as low as 15. But clearly, you know, those three teams are the teams that seem most likely to face Duke. Duke is probably going to be, you know, considered preseason like the second best team in the ACC behind Virginia. And um, Illinois, Wisconsin, Iowa, and Michigan State are the top teams in the Big Ten. Duke's not going to play Michigan State because we played them in the Champions Classic. Um, so, so I suspect we're going to get one of those other three. I'll just go ahead and, and guess right now that it's going to be Illinois. I think there's sort of a lot of storylines there. Um, uh, you know, what with Duke having uh, pretty consistent connections to the Chicago area. DJ Stewart coming from Chicago. Coach K coming from Chicago. Um, John Shire. I believe also comes from Chicago. So, so there's, there's a lot of um, connection that Duke has to, to that area. And I think it would make a lot of sense for us to play Illinois. So I'll go out on a limb on that one. The other thing I wanted to mention is the way the schedule shapes up, it looks to me like there's sort of two slots where we could add additional games and we could have up to two more non-conference games based on the NCAA limits and the such. I don't know that we'll fill both of these slots, but if you ha- if I had to guess, I'd say there's a slot uh, Thanksgiving weekend, after we play Gardner-Webb on the 25th, there's a slot on uh, Saturday or Sunday, the 28th or 29th, when it feels like Duke could play a game. Um, my gut sort of says that probably wouldn't be a Power 5 opponent, um, just because we've got Michigan State coming on on the 1st of December. Um, I think that probably, you know, that's sort of, that might be a spot where we, you know, try and play another sort of academically inclined school. In the past, we've played Ivies. We won't be playing an Ivy this year, I don't think, because the Ivy League is is sort of taking a very, very cautious approach to sports. But I could see us um, putting an opponent in there. And then the other slot is right after the Big Ten Challenge, December 12th or 13th. Feels like another date where we could perhaps plot in a team. The, the only thing to say about that is the ACC still is planning to play a 20-game schedule. If they're looking at a 20-game schedule, they probably are at least going to consider putting a game in in December. And I could see that December 12th or 13th date being our inaugural ACC game. Um, You know, don't know for certain. Obviously, all this stuff is still being worked out. 
but but that's sort of my guesstimate at the schedule right now. Yeah, the the ACC schedule being unknown at this point adds that huge amount of uncertainty as far as when is the ACC season going to start? What's the frequency of games going to be? Because it seems like it like it would make sense for the ACC to want to spread the schedule out a little more this year, build in the same flexibility that the conferences all did for football in the event of outbreaks on certain campuses and maybe even potting up the teams so that you could get a few games out of the way over a over a short span sort of NCAA tournament style. I think all of that is probably still on the table for programs, especially while they think that they won't be able to have fans indoors in a lot of these places. Regardless of the campus regulations, some states may not even let people have uh, have these indoor gatherings. So Expect to see even fewer fans at basketball games, I think, than we're seeing at football games this year. And all of that is leading to the further schedule uncertainty. And by the way, if you do pod up like that, and I think that is very, very possible, um, Duke's depth, the fact that we have a team where everyone says, you know, we are 10 or 11 players deep uh, is probably a really good thing because I think it's entirely possible that the ACC, you know, in the past, we've only played two games in a week. If you're going to pod teams up, you're going to group them together. I could easily see a situation where you go, okay, let's play Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. Let's try and bang out three games, not just two games, when we're in this sort of close you know, environment that we're going to create. And that's good for a team that is deep. The, so the, the, the team needs to be ready for, for all of those possibilities. As I look back at the non-conference schedule, what I see here is basically Duke has, is going to have two really good games. They get Michigan State and then the ACC Big Ten Challenge. Those games are going to be huge for Duke in establishing its sort of national rep. So they have to come out ready to play in those games. And Duke doesn't get the same kind of runway for roster tune-ups the way that they do in normal years. So this year, they get the one game against Gardner-Webb and then the Michigan State day, Michigan State game. Usually they get the two Division II opponents in the exhibitions before the Champions Classic starts. So a much quicker ramp up to playing tough opponents. You're going to see the roster probably or the the lineup probably trim down faster than it usually does which is going to be weird in this year where we think that duke has so much roster depth so expect us to do a ton of parsing the results of those games as they as they come donald anything else on the schedule that you're seeing so far well i think when it comes to the acc part of it i think you both are right in that we will have games in December because remember last year they opened up the season with some games on opening night when we were playing in the Champions Classic the rest of the ACC had an ACC schedule at least for that now they probably everyone hated that so I think they were going to get rid of that but at least we had games in December and I think now that you have these pods if, if they do it this way you have the opportunity to get four or five games in before the calendar turns to 2021 and they want to probably get as many games as possible underneath them before students return to campus for the spring semester. So I think that is an issue uh, that they have to work out, but I think it's something that we should look out for. Remember the Greensboro Coliseum has offered to use, uh, to allow the use of their facilities as a pod during the holidays. So Maybe that's something that at least Duke or some of the Carolina schools take advantage of. And with, with regards to the non-conference schedule, we're looking at, I think, the two games that we were talking about, Michigan State and the Big Ten ACC Challenge, those are the two major things. I, I think a lot of us were hoping that we would get another marquee matchup, but this seems like exactly what most schools are going to do. They're going to have maybe one or two marquee matchups. They may have their multi-team event, which is the early season tournaments. And then they'll have a bunch of games against mid-majors and lower major conference schools to try and build up that resume, especially when there's fewer games to be played. And especially when some of these conferences aren't even doing the normal five-game conference schedule they're going to be doing you know maybe or i'm a non-conference schedule they'll be doing one or two non-conference games because they're going to strictly focus on their conference schedule so duke i think is in a good position with their schedule and i think it's the rest of the teams especially now that we have these the the lower tier i will say schools locked up i think those were the schools uh those are the teams that schools were probably jockeying to get more of and now all that's left are the mid-majors and the Power Five conferences to play. And I think that is where a lot of teams are going to run into issues with scheduling their non-conference schedule. So 
Of course, we will do more schedule analysis as we hear more news trickle out. Of course, the ACC schedule being the the big unknown in all of this. We will cover that as as it comes to us. After this next upcoming break, we are going to get into some news out of the NCAA this week, which voted on uh, winter sports athletes eligibility going forward as it relates to the pandemic. We'll get into all of that right after this. So as we mentioned before the break, the NCAA voted this week to give winter sport athletes an extra year of eligibility. Anybody who's who is still enrolled in school this year. So not folks like Justin Robinson, who graduated last year, but anybody this year who is still in school in winter sports gets an extra year of eligibility and their scholarships in those last years won't count towards the total scholarship limits for their teams. The implications for this are are wide and and varied. Donald, I'll come to you first. What do you think the biggest impact this has on Duke as it relates to the news this week? Well, it means that Justin go. Uh, it means that guys like Jay Roll, Jay Rolled. I keep saying Jay Rolled. Jay Gold. Leave that in. That was my mistake. Jay Gold uh, to pay, and now Joey Baker can stay. Another year. I do. You mentioned Justin Robinson. You mentioned the last year class. I think it's a disservice to these guys that just graduated that they weren't afforded the same opportunity that this year is. Because this year, if you think about it, and I'm not saying that I don't want Jay Golder to pay or or Baker to stay another year, but the fact is, these guys are going to get to play a almost full year of, of basketball. We think. And then they're going to get another year. And it's almost like this year doesn't count when those guys missed out on their last chance to go to an NCAA tournament in an ACC tournament. And they're not going to get that opportunity back. I think it would have been great to, especially now, if you think about it for any senior or for any guy who left last year, we don't know when they're going to be playing basketball again. We know like if the guys who were going into the draft, the draft is not until next month. The NBA should be playing now. Their their new season should be starting right now. And instead, we're talking about January. So they are losing not just the end of their college career. They are losing the start of their professional career as well. And so I think that would have been nice to see those guys get worked back in, especially guys who wanted to leave the draft at this point. But I will say for Duke, having these guys being able to come back, and I think it's – I think when it comes to those three guys, especially, it's going to be great to get them for another year if they want to stay. I think Joey Baker, you know, if if we have him as a fifth-year senior, that's just going to be more experience for us. If we have to pay and we have Goldwire stay, that is going to be more experience for us in a college basketball environment where experience is necessary but not found very easily amongst these teams with so many guys leaving early. So I think we're in a good position, and, and I, I I love it for these guys. I just wish that – Delorier and and White and Robinson were able to take advantage of this rule and come back for another year if they chose. Jason, let's step back for a second and look at the broader context of this. Why did this ruling come out this week and what does it mean for the NCAA and its member institutions? So I, I want to kind of address uh, what Donald was just speaking about. Uh, the reason they did not do this in the spring and the reason they're doing it now. Um, In the spring when they shut down the winter sports like basketball, everybody had sort of already played, and there there was no option to say, if you were a player, there was no option for you to say, oh, wait, I I think I want to play, I'm willing to take the risk, or oh, I'm not not willing to take the risk of playing. Um, Right now, that option exists, and that's what the NCAA is doing here. They enacted this rule because if there are players out there who feel like they don't want to play a sport during the pandemic, they don't want that player to lose a year of eligibility. Um, and that's what the NCAA stated, and I think that makes a lot of sense. Donald's absolutely right. The, the result of this ruling is that guys are going to get five years 
five years of eligibility to play over a six-year span, as opposed to ordinarily you get four years of eligibility over a five-year span. Ordinarily, you can do one year of a red shirt, and uh, you can still do a red shirt. But but essentially, the NCAA is adding an extra year of playing and an extra year of you know of the span of the length of these things to 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 all these different players. It doesn't just apply to seniors like Jay Gold and Patrick DePay. It, it applies to everybody on the team. Now, we immediately identified Joey Baker as another guy who might potentially take advantage of this, but but there are other guys down the roster that this could affect. I mean, look, uh, most people don't think Henry Coleman is a guy who's likely to turn pro early. We don't know how anyone's career is going to turn out, but Henry Coleman feels like an, a guy who there have been some talk perhaps of a red shirt. I mean, we've said Duke has 11 guys this year. Are we really going to play 11? If we don't play 11, should someone redshirt? Well, now we know there's no reason to redshirt. This year essentially doesn't count. This year is a redshirt for everybody, even though we're playing games. So Henry Coleman becomes a guy who you could get for four additional years after this year. I mean, I don't know what happens with Jamin Brakefield. There's some other guys on the roster where it's uncertain how long they will stay at Duke. But obviously another impact of this away from Duke, a lot of these schools that we play that don't have guys who turn pro, they're going to suddenly get really old. These teams, you know, it's it's one thing we're playing a team with juniors and seniors. Now you're going to be playing with teams with juniors and seniors who are really old, an extra year older. Um, and it's going to ratchet up the competition. Um, you know, it's going to be a lot more of men playing with boys. If you're a young team uh, in the next couple of years, you're going to be playing with guys who are a lot older than you. It's a really interesting ruling by the NCAA. And and it really matters a lot. And, and again, back to my original point. They did it because of player safety. They want players to feel like if they want to opt out this year, they're able to. That said, there are very few players who are even considering that from what I understand. No one on Duke is even talking about that kind of stuff. These guys are excited and ready to play, and now they get a year of playing essentially for free. Although I imagine for most of them it won't matter because they're going to turn pro before their eligibility is up anyway. And I think when it you, you mentioned that last part about how no one on Duke is considering – opting out of this year. And it's because of the safety measures that have been put in place by the team, by the athletic department, by the university that have been so far pretty top notch. And they, they've been living in their bubble and, and practicing and really taking the steps necessary to keep everybody safe. I do think that there are schools that aren't doing that. We've seen that a lot in football, but to football's, I, I guess, credit, I guess, they have a hundred guys they have to worry about. And it's easy for one guy to infect a hundred. I, I know it's easier to have one guy infect 15, but it's also easier to protect 15 as opposed, as opposed to protecting a hundred guys and 20 staff and, you know, 20 people beyond that. So I, I think when it comes to basketball, I, I don't think a lot of basketball players are going to opt out because the, the way to keep a team safe is way more enhanced and easier in, in the grand scheme of things when you're dealing with a team that's smaller than that of, you know, college football. One other aspect of this that is going to be confusing for us for years to come is looking at the roster size and recruiting and is so-and-so back on the team this year. It, it, this is a problem that this podcast is going to have is a problem that pretty much every college basketball media person is going to have, which is, how many years of eligibility does that guy have left? Is he going to get replaced next year? Who's on the who's on the roster two years from now? All of that is going to be confusing. And by the time we are done with players who are affected by coronavirus-related eligibility concerns, all the rules may have changed in that time anyway, because four years is a long time in NCAA rulebook terms. So that is going to be just another element in all of this that that is going to be fun and interesting and challenging for us to keep up with. And we're going to have and, to worry about it for six years, right? Because again, that's right. these freshmen that are entering this year have five, have six years to complete five years of eligibility. So we could have a dude that's like a sixth year senior that's who's like, man, I feel like he's been playing... Is yeah, it like, like Henry Bailey? Coleman's been Henry Coleman's been at Duke since since like Jay Billis was there. Yeah, since the pandemic. <laughs> well, we're gonna look back and we're gonna like, man, this guy's been at Duke since the pandemic. Like that was ninety years ago. It seems like that's that's how time is at this point. The other aspect of all of this is these guys don't have to stay. I mean, like we're here speculating, talking about, oh, this means that Jay Gold and Patrick Tapay get an extra year of eligibility. It means we we can maybe get an extra year out of Joey Baker. A lot of these guys, even if they don't have a pro career awaiting them, sometimes they just decide, you know what, I'm ready to move on with my life, um, and they decide not to stick around. Um, 
look, uh, I'm sure many of us can remember our senior year of college and we were sort of eager to get out into the world and get away from the college bubble and begin starting the next phase of our life. Uh, and, and for plenty of these guys, I think they will make that decision. There's, there's no way to know what any of them are going to do. Um, which, by the way, creates a challenge from a recruiting standpoint for a coach. Am I replacing this guy or not? It's it's uncertain. Especially this year, because with the schedule being so off with not just college, but also the NBA, like just like this, right? You know, we haven't had the NBA draft for last year's class yet. And then next year's NBA draft is not going to be in June. Which is, we can't expect it to be in June. It's probably going to be later in the summer, which means that that's more time for these guys to – Say, yeah, I'm going to leave and just be in that kind of, you know, no man's land of do they leave or do they come back? I'm sure coaches are going to try and figure out a way uh, to address that with the NCAA to say, OK, what are the dates that we have? And let's stick to those dates, even if the if the NBA decides to push things further down the road. Which is not to say that next week we're going to come on the show and talk about how Duke needs to figure out how to reintegrate Trey Jones and Cassius Stanley and Vernon Carey into the roster. We, we know those guys are gone, but but yes, Donald, the, the schedule is going to be messed up for for a lot of the sort of upcoming cycles, and we will deal with it as it comes. All right. We wanted to quickly touch on some uh, alumni news for Duke the from Duke men's basketball. A couple of alumni had some interesting weeks. Greg Paulus, we wanted to shout out and give a special congratulations. He was recently extended in his job as the head coach at Niagara. So congratulations to to Greg Paulus. And this week, we've talked before about J.J. Reddick's podcast that, that he's running over on his own network now. This week, he had Coach K on. I haven't had a chance to listen to it yet, but Donald or Jason, either of you gotten a chance to listen to J.J.'s interview with Coach K yet? Nope, not me. Sorry. Right. I've been really busy. I, I, haven't, I haven't yet, but I do hear it. My friend literally messaged me this morning saying, if you haven't listened, it's a must listen. So go listen to it. After you so listen to this podcast... Out. Finish this up and then go listen to that one. Yep, I am sure it'll be good. JJ's been doing a great job with his show. And then finally, before we leave, we do have to mention that Duke has a football game this weekend. They are going to Raleigh to play NC State, who is three and one. We are hoping that Duke is able to close out this long stretch of games with a victory, although that might be tough. NC State has won their last two games at Pittsburgh and at UVA, both of whom are somewhat formidable opponents. Jason got a chance to catch up with the guys over at Inside Pack Sports this week to talk a little bit about the football game and, and chat with them about NC State football. So, Jason, any any thoughts from that conversation or thoughts about the game upcoming this weekend? Yeah, so uh, before I get to the game, I should tell you that uh, the NC State fan base is very excited about their team this year. They are 3-1. and one. Um, They feel like they have a, a chance to be very, very good. And uh, I, I they also brought up with me a... a point of um, concern that they have about the way the ACC is structured. They clearly don't like the fact that they are in the same division with the Clemson Tigers. They think it is unfair that the coastal division that we are in and that North Carolina is in, that, that we sort of get to send a different team to the ACC championship game every year. The coastal division, as we've noted in the past, seems like there's a different winner every single season. <laughs> um, and then over there in the Atlantic division, it's just Clemson all the time. Occasionally, Florida State rises up a little bit. Um, sometimes maybe Louisville, but it is pretty much Clemson, 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 Clemson. And the uh, NC State Wolfpack fans think that is just patently unfair. They would like that to be done away with. I, w- um, I will say I will say real quickly that there's some recency bias in those comments from the NC State people because they're acting like Clemson has been on top of the world for the last 20 decades. And that has not been the case. Florida State was on top of the world in that division for a long time. Until Clemson decided that they were going to play some football and brought in Dabo Sweeney and, and revitalize that program. So they may be thinking that they, all we got to do is get past Clemson. And I know I, I hate Florida State and I know they're having a terrible year, but let's let's give them credit where it's due, because I, I do remember that 2013 championship. When we were in it and we weren't playing Clemson. We got smoked by someone else. and It was Florida State. And by the way, I pointed out, you know, these things ebb and flow. I said, look, there was a time when having Virginia Tech in your division, as we do, was really bad news. I mean, for a while, Virginia Tech was really, really good at football. And if you go all the way back to the ACC's expansion in the early 2000s, it was Miami that was supposed to be yes. the cornerstone. It was that the divisions were originally set up to be a Florida State versus Miami 
ACC championship game every year. It was like, all right, every if we year. separate those two teams, then then we can get them to to play in the championship. And you know, Virginia Tech might compete. I don't know who on the on the Florida State side, on the Atlantic side, NC State side was going to be coming in second place because Clemson was not there yet. But anyway, so let's get to to this week's game because that's what that's what we came here to talk about. Um, and before I get to this week's game, I, I want to ask you guys: Do you remember the last time Duke played NC State? It was 2013. We haven't played state in seven years. And that 2013 game, epic. I'm about to remind you guys of one of the great games in ACC football history. NC State early in that game, it was a game of crazy plays. NC State returns a punt, 73 yards for a touchdown. And you may be thinking, oh, wow, this this is going to be their day. When you return a kick, usually it's your day. Oh, oh, but a little later on in the game, uh, Devon Edwards of Duke returned a kickoff for a touchdown. And then in the fourth quarter, in a four-point game with Duke leading 24 to 21, or 24 to 20 was the score, Devon Edwards literally on consecutive possessions returned two interceptions for touchdowns. It was a there were three minutes left in the game. It was a four-point game, and Devon Edwards single-handedly turns two state possessions into 14 Duke points, and we end up blowing NC State out on the back of three touchdowns by cornerback return specialist Devon Edwards. Wow, what a game that was. It, it must be seared into everyone's memories. Believe it or not, we have not played NC State in seven years. That is the last time we played NC State. I'm sure they want revenge for what is an absolutely epic game. So in terms of what we should expect in this game, I think the pass rush for both teams is going to be huge. State is very up and down on rushing and getting to the quarterback. They had six sacks against Wake Forest earlier in the season. They had three sacks just last week against Virginia. But in their other two games, they basically they, they had real trouble getting to the quarterback. Duke, by the way, is second in the ACC and 11th nationally in sacks, thanks to Chris Rumpf and Victor Dumukeji. I mean, Duke is really good at getting to the quarterback. We've talked about the defensive line all year as a strength for Duke. 11th in the nation at sacks. That's a big deal for us. Um, But State has been really good at keeping their redshirt sophomore quarterback, Devin Leary, upright. He has not gotten sacked a lot. They did not allow a single sack against Virginia last week. Pass rush will be huge. Duke needs to get to Leary and force him into making mistakes because he will make mistakes, um, you know, if you give him a chance. The Duke secondary, of course, is really banged up. Both our starting quarterbacks, Mark Gilbert and Josh Blackwell, are out with injuries, as they have been for a couple weeks um, and, and so we need the defensive line to help out the secondary by not giving them a lot of time uh, to throw the ball. Uh, in terms of uh, Duke on offense and NC State on defense, the pack must find a way to stop Duke's newfound rushing attack. We ran for 332 yards last week against Syracuse, 332 yards. And by the way, a couple weeks ago, the only game they lost, NC State gave up more than 300 yards rushing to Virginia Tech. But the pack has gotten better since then. Against Pittsburgh and Virginia, they gave up less than 100 yards rushing in either one of those games. And I'll be honest, I don't think Duke wins this game unless we rush for 130 or more yards, maybe more like 150 yards. Um, the the Wolfpack defensive line, by the way, is led by nose tackle Aleem McNeil. Remember that name? He will be playing on Sundays in the NFL next year. This guy is an absolute physical freak. And he is dominant against the run. I mean, that's what a nose tackle's job is. It's to plug up the middle and prevent you from running the ball. And and that's what he is really, really good at. So it's going to be huge for Duke to find ways to to get around McNeil and and get a run game going. And then, uh, look, the simple truth of this game is turnovers. Duke leads the nation. We have 19 turnovers on the season. We have a minus 11 turnover margin on the season. Uh, If we turn the ball over, we don't win. If we don't turn the ball over, Duke is really good. Uh, if you look back at these games, if Duke had held onto the ball in, in all our games this season, we're probably three and two in this season versus being one and four. I, I don't think anyone would dispute that. Are we finally due for a game where we don't turn the ball over? And one of the reasons we could be is because NC State is not very good at getting turnovers. They don't generate a lot of them. They only have five turnovers on the season that the defense has generated. So maybe, maybe. Duke is able to hold on to the ball in this game. And if we do, we have a really good chance of pulling an upset. NC State's about a four and a half, five point favorite um, and beating an NC State team that thinks they're on their way to a special season, but maybe, maybe isn't. Donald? You mentioned a lot of what I had to say, especially about the run game. You know, like I said, the run game last week was incredible. And discipline, I think, is the key of this game. You mentioned the turnovers part. 
There's also the penalties. We have done a lot of penalties, but we are playing a team that averages 77 yards a game in penalty yards. So that's a lot. That's a hell of a lot. That's I think that's more than us. But it, it seems like every time we had done something, a penalty or a fumble or an interception would derail us. We can't let that happen on Saturday. And on the defensive side, like you said, make MC State make all the mistakes. Because if they make the mistakes, they're going to push themselves out of scoring position. Field, game, uh, field position is going to be a huge battle in this game. We have the advantage there if we can stay disciplined. If we can stay disciplined, I think we win this football game. So let's focus on the run game. I think that's established. Let's get the run, uh, the passing game on back. But if we can limit our penalties and our turnovers, we will beat NC State. The last thing that I wanted to point out is fatigue for Duke. This is now their sixth game in a row, and it, it's been a, a bruising beginning to the season for the Blue Devils. So curious to see how they hold up through the fourth quarter in this weekend's game. Luckily, it's not a big travel day. They're just driving down the street to Raleigh, but I'm going to be I'm going to be looking for that. And and the fatigue affects things like turnovers and penalties and, and all those kind of little things that Duke hasn't been great at the last couple of weeks. Hopefully they can shore that up this week against NC State. We will leave it there, though. We've we've had plenty to talk about this week, and I'm sure there will be more next week. We'll recap the football game. There will more than likely be more basketball news. Yeah, so really quick, I just wanted to point out, um, we forgot to mention, today is October 15th. Yesterday, October 14th, was the start of the basketball season. It was the first official day of practices uh, according to NCAA rules, the uh, all the teams in the country now have 42 days until uh, November 25th, 42 days in which they can hold up to 30 practices. Players can work out up to 20 hours per week in those practices and up to four hours per day. And they are required to have at least one off day per week. But the practice season has begun. All the footage that we've gotten up until now has been sort of you know, unstructured, semi-formal kind of stuff. The real thing begins now. Coach K, the rest of the coaching staff with the players, teaching them how to become a team and getting ready for November 25th. I just wanted to remark to everybody that it has officially begun. The NCAA has begun allowing teams to officially practice. So this would have been the week that we would see the blue-white game and countdown to craziness. But alas, here we are. We'll look out for the virtual content, which we are sure is coming. But until all of that, uh, we will wait and and see what happens. Whenever there is news, we will be back to talk about it. Don't forget to email us at dbrpodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to leave reviews, leave very nice reviews for us wherever you find podcasts. And until next time, I am Sam Klein for Jason Evans and for Donald Wine. This has been episode 240 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Duke Band, take us home.